Welcome to Marvelous Disney. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings of one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which of course is Marvel Entertainment. As for who the us in the show title is, I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my partner on this podcast is the one, the only, Aaron Adams. Hello! It's been far too long between shows. Let's just start with the obvious. Okay, so we have Ant-Man and the Wasp, which you saw? Yep, yep, yep. Okay, and we're going to get into a, a more detailed discussion of the film in the back half of the show, but it's been kind of interesting for me anyway watching the discussion of the box office of this movie have you, have you seen any of that or no i i really didn't have much expectation since infinity wars was so huge i kind of expect this to be a bit more i don't want to say subtle of a movie but the box office is going to be significantly lesser than infinity wars so i've tempered my expectations for this to be mediocre to moderate success hopefully see this is why you're never going to make it as a or entertainment reporter in 2018 because everybody turned and sort of jumped on the fact that ant-man and the wasp did exactly what you said it had an opening weekend of only 75.8 million and the press which tends to be reactionary at this point went like oh god look at black panther that sold 202 million dollars worth of tickets domestically over its opening weekend or as you said avengers infinity war that was a quarter of a billion dollars 257.8 million dollars over its opening weekend and even the incredibles managed to sort of kick ant-man's butt it sold 182 million dollars worth of tickets opening its weekend but the only people who weren't hitting the panic button were the folks at Marvel mm -hmm. because they had an attitude like you are and they were like well look the first Ant-Man movie when it came out in July of 2015 that only sold 57.2 million dollars worth of tickets over its opening weekend so right. this movie saw a 25% increase in ticket sales from the first Ant-Man movie it's like we like that trend line the folks I spoke with at Marvel were like you know what we really seriously think we're seeing here we're going to see this play out the same way it did with the Thor series. You know, first Thor movie back in 2011, that made $65.7 million over opening weekend. Next one, when it came out in November of 2013, $85 million. And then, of course, Thor Ragnarok last year was $122 million mm -hmm. domestic. So it's like, this is where they expect this to go. They are already chugging along with plans for Ant-Man 3 production, as I understand it is supposed to get underway in the late summer, early fall of 2020. But then it gets a little strange as to when this movie is supposed to come out. Did you hear about the Indiana Jones 5 news earlier this week? Oh, goodness, no. I, I've, been, oh. I've been praying that that wouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to admit Have I been praying the, on the wrong prayer rug? Yeah, well, uh, I have to admit there's a number of us who... After Crystal Skull, just sort of like, maybe we don't want to go back to the well, but Disney paid $4 billion for Lucasfilm and that all of its properties. So honestly, at this point, I kind of pull more for the Howard the Duck movie, but that's not the case. So here's the thing. Initially, the plan was that Ant-Man 3 was supposed to come out 
in theaters July 9th of 2021. But in June of this year, Lucasfilm announced that they were pushing back the previously announced April 2019 start of production on Indy 5. This was supposedly because of script issues. They're bringing in John Kasdan, mm-hmm. who's the son of Lawrence Kasdan, mm-hmm. the guy who wrote the script for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. But he's retooling the script. So they pushed off its release date to 2021. And another issue here, Spielberg decided that before he tackles Indy 5, he wants to do a live-action version or a remake of West Side Story. Okay. I don't know about you, but I don't know as I want to see the guy who made Jaws doing something with the Jets and the Sharks. I think it would be better suited for Boz Lerman, but whatever. I mean, it's Spielberg. If he has an itch to do something crazy at this point in his career, he can make whatever the heck he wants. At one point, he wanted to make Schindler's List, and at, at that point, we were like... Uh, what? And it turned out to be a, a very tragically beautiful, poetically sad, but uplifting story. So let him do whatever he wants. I'm sure he'll ha- have a, a magical touch that only he can provide. I wouldn't expect West Side Story to be his next direction, but at this point, go for it. Whatever. You're a much kinder, more thoughtful person than I am. I was going for the cheap shot. So anyway, we have our... Indy 5 poaching Ant-Man 3's uh, release date. So it's going to be interesting to see where Ant-Man and the Wasp 3 winds up. And speaking of changing release dates, we have Disney, as it's announcing that it's going to be moving Indy 5 from its previously announced July 10th, 2020 release date Mm -hmm. to July 9th, 2021. But they also revealed, as they're doing this, that an unnamed Marvel production was going to move its release date from July 30th, 2021, down to February 12th of that same year. So which Phase 4 film is that? Given that the original Black Panther was released to theaters in February 16th of this year and did crazy business, the smart money right now is this is Black Panther 2. Well, wait a minute. Chronologically, shouldn't Doctor Strange have something somewhere in the future slate? Because... He had a movie before Black Panther. I know Black Panther made all the money, and they're probably going to push him right to the front of the development line. When I asked about that, the the folks at Marvel basically pointed to both Infinity Wars and the Avengers 4, which, by the way, there's a new rumor about the the name of the the Infinity War sequel. It's, It's supposedly Endgame, which, remember, the... The Doctor Strange character actually says in, in sort of the the final battle with Thanos. So okay, that title makes sense, and yep, I'm down with that for a title. Okay, but supposedly, given how heavily Doctor Strange factors in into the Infinity War follow-up, mm-hmm. this is kind of our Doctor Strange movie. In fact, it, uh, it's going to be. Well, we'll talk about this okay, in the second sure. half of the show, okay. but but very very time travel trippy, setting the world right after the end of Infinity Wars gotcha. it's, it's going to take you know a lot of doing and and Doctor Strange is right in the middle of all of okay. this. Okay, so um, then back to you. You're speculating Black Panther is this moved up release date is where we where we left off. Go ahead. On the heels of how the original Black Panther did, you're actually seeing a number of studios in Hollywood at this point it's like, look, I don't want to go up against Marvel. I mean, I don't know if you saw 
what happened with Warner Brothers earlier this year where they actually shifted the date of Godzilla King of the Monsters from March 22nd of 2019. They pushed it all the way back to May 31st of that same year. Mm -hmm. Supposedly this was done because of how dominant Black Panther had been. Mm -hmm. Black Panther, when it was out earlier this year, was number one at the box office for five weeks in a row. And the last time a movie did this was James Cameron's Avatar back in 2009. And what ended up happening was Black Panther was sucking up so much oxygen at the box office during that window of time that there were a bunch of high-profile movies that, that came out then. There was a Black Sparrow, there was the Tomb Raider reboot, there was that Pacific Rim sequel, even Disney's Wrinkle of Time, and big advertising campaigns, high-profile, and they all bombed. And this was because Black Panther was so dominant. So here's Warner Brothers with Godzilla King of the Monsters, which is the next film in their MonsterVerse series, which is kind of Warner's answer to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm -hmm. So first one of the, this was the uh, Godzilla reboot in 2014. Second film in the series was Kong Skull Island, which was released last year. Third film, like I said, will be this Godzilla King of the Monsters. And there'll be a fourth film in 2020, Godzilla versus Kong. But Warner Brothers didn't want anything tripping up its version of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, especially in the wake of what just happened with Justice League mm -hmm. or get underperformed this past November. Here they are. They're, they're looking at Captain Marvel, which Disney has scheduled to be released on March 8th of next year. Warner Brothers is like, look, it's probably not going to be Black Panther again, but it's entirely possible that it'll be sitting there for three weeks. Yeah. Do we really want to have Godzilla go the way of Tomb Raider or the, that Pacific Rim sequel? So Warner's blinked, and they moved their very expensive American kaiju movie to a far safer release date. So as of right now, we've got Godzilla King of the Monsters opening on May 31st. And the weekend before that, we've got Disney opening its live-action Aladdin. That's the one with Will Smith playing the genie. Mm -hmm. And then the weekend after it, We've got Universal opening its sequel to The Secret Life of Pets, which, by the way, while Harrison Ford is sitting around waiting for them to fix the script for Indy 5, he's actually, for the first time ever, voicing an animated character, and it's for this uh, Illuminations Entertainment project. Oh, it's got to be like the driest character in the world, you know, just like, I'll go fetch the bone. <laughs> <laughs> it's entirely possible. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I, you know, so I just, I'm intrigued to see the Marvel movies are at this point that big and that scary to other people in the industry. Like you said, there were some perfectly great movies that came out shortly after Black Panther and like nobody talked about them. It, it was just mm -hmm. that Black Panther dominated an, the entertainment news cycle for so long. If you go back and look during that two or three month period, there's a lot of good movies that you missed. Yeah, yeah. But when you're talking with Disney about release dates at this point, they're confident, but they're still gun shy about what just happened with Solo, a Star Wars story. Because it's like, in theory, that had the right weekend, that had the right release date, and nobody came out, yeah. you know, or at least not the numbers that they were expecting. And Here's Marvel moving forward with great confidence. And here's Lucasfilm moving indie back by a year. What happened with Solo also impacted that decision. Pivoting back to Captain Marvel now, 
A bit of news has come out about this film that I find a wee bit concerning, Aaron. We've been talking about how this story is set in the 1990s Mm -hmm. and Clark Gregg coming back to play Agent Coulson. We have Samuel Jackson coming back to play Nick Fury and they're going to age them down. But this isn't like a cameo appearance by these characters. And that kind of worries me. Don't worry too much. Kurt Russell. In Mm -hmm. the Guardians of the Galaxy, when they de-aged him, Mm -hmm. they really just threw a wig on him. There wasn't a whole lot of digital done to him. It was wardrobe to place him back in a different decade. It was giving him classic Kurt Russell hair that you remember from, like, Escape from New York or whatever. And then, Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know this, there are these really cheap, cheap things that makeup designers use. And basically... It's a piece of scotch tape at an end of a rubber band and another piece of scotch tape at the other end. And the piece of scotch tape kind of goes like where uh, the corner of your eyes would be. And then they wrap it around the back of your head and then they attach the other piece. And what it does is it pulls the skin of your face back to get rid of your wrinkles. And it's Mm -hmm. a super cheap and effective way to knock five or ten years off an actor or an actress for something like that. So they can do a lot very, very cheaply to just get rid of some basic wrinkles without you ever knowing it and them not spending more than like five bucks in supplies. Clark Gregg's not that old. Mm -hmm. You just give him a mullet, (laughs) you know, and boom, he's in the 90s. There we go. There's a whole lot that they can do to knock age off of these guys. And really, Samuel L. Jackson also over the years, really hasn't changed his, his appearance a whole lot as far as age. He's still a good-looking older dude. All right. Well, you've reassured me then, because I, I love what they did with Michael Douglas in that short opening scene for the original Ant-Man. Likewise, I loved the scene in Captain American Civil War where we basically got Robert Downey Jr. to look like he did when he did that Rodney Dangerfield movie back to school right. in 86. Yeah. I don't think... Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer in the opening of Ant-Man and the Wasp were quite as successful. Maybe they didn't use the scotch tape in the rubber band? No, I mean, if you're doing like a short scene and you want to go back several, you know, decades and, you know, sometimes we'll just go, I will just de-age it. It'll be digital. It'll be, it'll be mm-hmm. fine. But I mean, if they're mm-hmm. going to be in a, a lot of the movie, they don't want to drop all of their budget on knocking 20 years off of two specific actors. You know, it just doesn't make mm-hmm. sense financially for that movie. Oh, I agree. When Captain Marvel's supposed to be the most powerful being in the Marvel Universe, I think they're going to want to show off her ability much more than minus 20 years on Clark Gregg and Samuel L. Jackson. I guess my concern is that what comes to mind hearing about this conceit for Captain Marvel is that I can't help but think back to Tron Legacy from 2010 where the young, down CG Jeff Bridges just did not work for me. It didn't work for anybody. Nobody mm-hmm. liked that scene. Did you finally get to see Justice League? Yeah, I've seen it, yeah. Okay, let's talk about the mustache Cabell's <laughs> upper lip. Right, You yeah. know, in a superhero movie, suspension of disbelief is crucial because these, these characters are frankly doing impossible things over and over and over in the movie, and you have to be in that world. Yeah. And I just found... What he was talking with the change from the Joss Whedon scenes, it's like I'm looking at the wrong place. I'm paying attention to the wrong thing. I actually found that when I could keep my distance from that sort of stuff, 
there's some chunks of a good movie in there. Right, yeah. Kind of a grab bag. And one bad effect like that can really pull you out of right, the film. Right, right. Back to Captain Marvel again. So we have Brie Larson who just confirmed that they finished shooting the film. She tweets this out. And the irony is that here's Samuel Jackson who's using his Instagram account to announce that Oh, by the way, I'm in Spider-Man Far From Home. Evidently, Nick Fury is going to be heading over to London and helping out Peter Parker in some way. So now we know one other person who's been resurrected already. Thanks, Sam. (laughs) Well, that's the other thing that I just... Are we kind of in Monty Python, the Holy Grail country? I mean, remember when Arthur went after the Black Knight and it's like, tis a scratch, only a flesh wound. It's like, you disintegrated. The thing that bugs me now is like, there's this kid in the neighborhood, right? And he was just Mm -hmm. devastated to know that like half of the Avengers team that was on screen died with the snap of the fingers. Like this kid was just mortally wounded to his core. And I had to have that inner battle of, do I tell him that there is a new Spider-Man, a Black Panther movie just right around the corner? Or do I let him wait for a couple of years with this anxiety? Because I had to go through that with Empire Strikes Back, you know, when the good guys lost. And I was just like, you know what, I'm going to let him, I'm going to let him suffer. He Mm. he needs to have this growth experience. And now it's like Disney's like, oh, by the way, uh, Spider-Man 2's title is here and Sam Jackson's coming back and all these members are coming. And it's just accidental little leaks, a little blurb here. But within a month or two of the release of Infinity Wars, all of that sacrifice has basically been undone through gossip and leaks. And it's just like, well, who is dead? Is anyone actually going to be sacrificed or are they all coming back? That is a genuinely intriguing question. But at the same time, the very thing you're talking about, about Disney has, right now, that there's this huge discussion in-house about, well, when do we put the first Captain Marvel teaser, the official teaser trailer out there? You know, when do we do this? Because there's a lot of questions about this character, you know, especially given that end scene from Infinity War. They could put it out right now because if it takes place in the 90s, unless the whole movie is about getting the Avengers back, which I doubt, Mm. I would think that, you know, if it takes place in the 90s, this is probably her origin story. So it should just be a standalone movie that is brand new and exciting and we've never seen it before. There should be nothing that would reveal any major secrets. It's intriguing you say this because the other thing, of course, that broke this week is we've been tracking for a number of months now the Black Widow movie. I mean, for example, back in January, they hired Jack Schaefer to to write the screenplay. And just this week, The Hollywood Reporter announced that Marvel settled on a director, Kate Shortland. She's uh, the woman who helmed uh, Lore and the Berlin Syndrome. But just sort of dovetailing into what you were just talking about, the most recent rumor about this Schaefer screenplay is that it's sort of a prequel, or at the very least, it features a very sizable sequence that goes into great depth as to how young Natasha Romanoff actually became the Black Widow. And for me, it'll be intriguing to see if the, this finished film actually does, in fact, go in that direction. Half the fun of Ant-Man of the Wasp for me was that it existed in its bubble until it didn't. Well, as far as Natasha's character goes... I think she spent the first couple of Marvel movies that she was in stating things about, I've got a lot of red in my ledger, you know, I'd like to get cleaned up. 
And mm-hmm. I think if they were going to do a cool Black Widow movie, would be her doing the wrong stuff for a while. And then it ends with her getting captured by S.H.I.E.L.D. or whatever, and then undergoing the change to good guy. You got to go back almost like they did with Bond and Daniel Craig, strip her down to where she's nothing, where she hasn't got all of her skills and all of her gadgets, and, you know, make it about subtle subtle uh, trickeries and espionage and kind of like a Bond film, but she's the bad guy. I think that'd be cool. No, I agree. That, that, that's a great take on the movie. But, but again, you have to wonder where, again, in the Phase 4 release schedule this Black Widow film is going to drop because, of course, we've got on July 27th, Fox shareholders meet and decide whether or not they're actually going to okay the Disney's acquisition of those certain film and television production assets from 21st Century Fox. And what's been kind of interesting is Kevin Feige, the president of Marvel Studios, has, of course, been out doing press for Ant-Man and the Wasp reporters would flat out using the opportunity to say, okay, when this deal happens, you know, what are you guys going to do? And Kevin, what he's basically been saying is, look, we're not thinking about it. We're focusing on everything we've got already announced. When and if this deal actually happens, then we'll start to think more about it. Right. But but until we're given the word, until then, we, we have a lot to do. We have a lot of stuff already on our plate. But, you know, when he was pressed, he said, look, I have vague dreams, vague ideas, but right now, bringing the life to 10,000 plus characters that Marvel fully controls is what the game plan is. Mm-hmm. You know, when and how the deal with Fox finishes and comes together and we're then told, okay, now you can start working on it. Now you can start thinking about what what this means. It's, that's when we'll actually start thinking about it. Right. So as far as he's concerned, I'm just going to focus on everything that's in front of me, not just because Comcast keeps coming in with these, you know, hey, how about if we pay another $20 billion? Yeah. And that honestly is the fear at Disney right now, that Disney's heard from a number of folks that Comcast has gone around to folks with some very deep pockets looking for additional financial partners. And right up until this meeting on the 27th, they're not going to take any of this for granted. That the, the fear is that in the great eBay tradition, Comcast is going to come in and snipe Disney's bid and just take this out from under them. Well, you know, there's also the fact that I believe for a while, because Marvel wanted Fantastic Four back from Fox so bad, they just stopped mm-hmm. making Fantastic Four comics. They were not going to create a whole division of advertising for someone else to make money off of the films. And so if they don't get their stuff back, I would have a very strong sense that there won't be X-Men comics, there won't be Fantastic Four, you know, whatever Comcast gets, Marvel will be like, well, we're just not drawing any pictures of that anymore. Mm -hmm. For Marvel fans, these are really interesting times. Top of the show, Aaron and I promised to go in-depth about what we thought about Ant-Man and the Wasp. We'll cut away for a commercial here and then come right back to talk about that Peyton Reed movie. And we're back. You and I talked a little bit off air about this and you liked it? I thought a long time about this movie after I watched it and go, how do I, how do I judge this movie? Because... There is a whole Marvel Cinematic Universe that 
I unfortunately have there to compare it to. And I go, oh, well, this is kind of middle of the road for a Marvel movie. Now, if I could remove the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe from existence and just say Ant-Man and the Wasp came out, I would go, well, that's a very, very enjoyable superhero movie. It was fun. It was lighthearted. It was entertaining. It had action. It was everything that should be in a Marvel movie. It was not littered with Easter eggs for future things to come. There was one thing later that we'll talk about later. But beyond that, it was a self-contained, all-by-itself, good adventure story. And uh, I liked it. I laughed where I was supposed to laugh and went, wow, that looked cool when, you know, the action was going on. But then when I got done, there was the whole wall of Marvel Cinematic movies staring back at me going, judge us. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, come on, guys, don't make me rank you because it's good. But like, you know, we just had Infinity Wars, which had every superhero ever in it, uh, practically. And so we had so much, so much, it was like the Sunday with all the different flavors of ice cream and every single topping and all that. And then after you get done, the next thing they give you is just like, here's a scoop of vanilla. And you're like, well, I still like ice cream, but that one had so much on it. This is just a scoop of vanilla. So, you know, if you can just remove all of that stuff that you gorged on before you got to Ant-Man and the Wasp and just treat it as its own individual movie, it's a it's a good, fun movie. There's nothing really to hate about it. Um, it but then, you know, if you, if you look at the other Marvel movies, there's some that are more fun. All right. I guess for me, when I look at Winter Soldier, yep. what I like about Winter Soldier is that as a fan of 1970s political thrillers, Three Days of the Condor, or in fact, you know, that was, I love the nod to that film by making Redford the villain, yep. you know, bringing him into that movie. But I kind of like the fact that Every so often, Marvel will, will throw you a, a left turn. And with the original Ant-Man, I, I kind of liked how goofy it was. Yeah. You know, whether it was Michael Pena's character and those amazing, you know, his explanations backed up by those, those bizarre film clips. Yes. But I love how a throwback, literally, to the first film of the Thomas the Tank Engine being you know, tossed out of Cassie's bedroom. You know, we got the Pez dispenser being heaved out of the truck. Right. I mean, for me, it was the first film ratcheted up just slightly. And I got to see the original Ant-Man with my daughter at the El Cap in Hollywood at an early press screening. And it, it's really, I guess for me, the problem is that it, it's the combination of enjoying the movie and being there with my daughter. And it just sort of, so I guess I would grade it a little bit higher because I not only enjoyed this film, it made me think back to the very enjoyable evening with my daughter Alice at the movies. It does have almost like an element of slapstick to it. There's like a spoiler alert issue mm -hmm. with uh, the size control of the suit. Mm -hmm. And there's this element where he's in the school in a disguise, so to speak. And I mean, it's the whole gag is terribly funny. You're right. It's its own genre. Like the, the beauty of Marvel movies is like Ant-Man can be very, very, very silly. And mm -hmm. I do like that a lot. Peyton Reed again has been out talking about he's really not only looking forward to Ant-Man 3, He's twice made a run 
Ed Rick Moranis from the, you know, Honey, the Honey, I Shrunk, I Shrunk the Kids, the kids yeah, movies yeah. about he really wants to become a cameo or play a role of size just, you know, because, you know, how many people work in the shrinking movie, you know, genre? That's one thing that I kind of get worried about with Ant-Man is are they ever going to be compared to a gag, you know, a shrinking gag to something that's already mm-hmm. been done specifically from that series? And mm-hmm. even bringing in Rick Moranis is almost like, oh, you got to be your own thing. You got to s- stand apart from that. I don't know if, if putting the two together just brings those two comparisons too close to home where you're like, oh, damn, this whole series is just a ripoff of Honey, I Shrunk the Ant-Man. <laughs> well, before we jump ahead here, the other thing, this actually comes by way of Drew Taylor, who I do the, the fine-tuning podcast with, but he recently got to interview Peyton It's it's part of the junket for Ant-Man and the Wasp and he was talking about the fact that Peyton was very upfront about the fact that while they were shooting this sequel they were also shooting the ride components for the Ant-Man and the Wasp shooter attraction that's going to initially debut next year Mm -hmm. at Hong Kong Disneyland and supposedly then start to march around the world I guess it's eventually going to be part of the Disney California Adventure Marvel superhero land that they'll be building out there. But I guess this is what kind of intrigues me about, uh, you know, how Disney, sort of the Disney difference that you don't just shoot the movie. I mean, for example, James Gunn, supposedly his most excited day on the set of Guardians Volume 2 was when they shot all the inserts for Guardians, the Mission Breakout thing for California Adventure. And I guess he's already put the cast on notice that, yes, we're going to probably do two days of shooting on the Guardians ride that's now being built at Epcot Mm -hmm. that is big enough at this point to blot out the sun if you're in the parking lot. It's a pretty huge attraction. But interesting, you brought up sort of the goofy humor aspect of the Ant-Man films because this character... And again, I apologize, folks, we're about to get into some pretty heavy spoiler territory, especially in regards to Avengers 4, which again, we keep, (laughs) we've heard is now called Endgame. But in the middle credit scene for Ant-Man and the Wasp, we had that moment where we had Pym and Hope and Janet. Janet are outside of the van and they've they set up the small size quantum tunnel and Scott is supposed to be going in and collecting healing particles and as that scene comes to a close we actually see the sort of the same dust effect that we saw in Infinity War when we lost you know so many members of the Avengers and the folks that we're battling with. So this leaves Ant-Man trapped in the quantum realm. Yep. And the three people that were, were supposed to help get him back out have just turned to dust. That leaves him in a strange position for the next Avengers movie. Well, supposedly the key line in this middle scene is said by Michelle Pfeiffer. She says it is a throwaway. Avoid the time vortexes because we can't rescue you from them. Understand that's going to play a large part in what happens in Avengers 4. Where this also gets interesting is there have been notices out in the trades about how Marvel Studios is casting for an older version of Ant-Man's daughter, Cassie Lang... Uh-oh. They've evidently hired an actor, Emma Furman, to play the role that Abby Ryder Fortson has been played in the first two movies. So, And how old is this actress? Is she 70 or is she 14? I mean, it turns out Emma Furman 
is actually 16 years old. So we're, we're sort of leaping forward, say, eight to 10 years. Yeah, something like that. So this definitely kind of clicks in with some of the other stuff that frankly has leaked out of Atlanta. There's been the shot that's circulated, somebody took, where it's Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, and the bunch of them replicating that sort of iconic pose from the first Avengers movie where yeah. the, the camera swings around them yep. and the team together in the Battle of New York. and But evidently, they're in this pose and then in that kind of back to the future two moment, you have Ant-Man run up to them in much the same way that Marty McFly ran up to Doc Brown after he thought he'd sent Marty back. Uh, you know, uh. and but the problem is, of course, they don't know Scott or Ant-Man from Adam. I wonder... <laughs> If this is the response to so many people talking about how dark Infinity War got, it's like, well, the way we make this less dark is kind of the one-two punch of the ultimate superhero in Captain Marvel, you know, the mightiest person in the universe, and coupled with the kind of goofiness of the Scott Lang character. And they somehow all come together to defeat Thanos. When you start looking around the web, there are some genuinely fascinating images that have leaked out from the set. Mm -hmm. Pictures of Loki in his outfit from the original Avengers. You have Robert Downey Jr. dressed in a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent's outfit, huh. clearly infiltrating for some reason. So there's a lot of intriguing threads out there right now just based on the pieces that are out there and, and particularly on the heels of what we saw at the end of of ant-man and the wasp it's like i'm on board i kind of like where this is going and now the question is does he go into a time vortex does he jump to the future with his daughter or uh, i don't Couple know of both i don't know yeah i and I hate speculation about those things. And I've seen those websites where they have five photographs and then they try and like describe whatever scene they think is taking place that actually mm -hmm. ends up being absolutely nothing close to what actually takes place in the upcoming film. So, you know, you just see a couple of photos and it's like, yeah, well, if Loki is wearing his exact costume from the first Avengers mm -hmm. movie that would signify that maybe there is some time travel, and if not, then it's a flashback. And mm -hmm. if it's a flashback, well, that's pretty insignificant, you know, as far as the storyline goes. If it's time travel, that's a bit more hefty in story weight. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so right now it's just like I don't even want to speculate as to what it could all mean. I'd, I'll just let it be what it is, and when it happens, I'll find out, and I'll go, huh. That was they, cool. They, that's a so much healthier attitude toward these things than I have. I mean, I've, you ever hear the Woody Allen joke about how scientists found footprint of his ex-wife and based on the size and the shape of it, they reconstructed a dinosaur? Uh, uh, I'm in the reconstructing dinosaur business based on footprints and individual photographs and that sort of thing. Yeah, I can't count the number of times where over the last 10 years of Marvel movies, there have been photos or sh short video shots of something, 
and this very long, elaborate detail of this is what's going on, guys. This is the scene you're going to see in the movie. And you get to the movie, and it's just like that wasn't even close. So perfect example. Remember a couple episodes back when I thought the next Avengers was going to be Secret Wars? By God, how wrong I was on that. <laughs> well, again, you know, to just be careful what you say here. Because, again, Phase 4 it is pretty fluid at this point based on Feige's comments that yes there's the stuff they're working on but once this deal goes down or if this deal goes down well if Comcast comes over the hill with a big pile of money this could slip through Disney's hands if you consider how many movies that they've already got in the pipeline they've got all hands on deck doing work that is making money and to just have a bunch of artists and story writers go spitball ideas for something that may or may not happen is a huge investment of time, money, and resources that could generate absolutely nothing. So the smart play is do what you have because that's what you have. And then one day if you get more, then you can do more. But until that deal goes through, you don't have that, so you don't work on that. Very true. I've been in the radio business where corporations are purchased almost every other year by a bigger corporation. And there mm -hmm. were times where we may have been purchased and then the deal didn't go through. And then there were times where we were purchased, but nothing changed until the new boss actually stepped foot in the door and went, today, I own you. And then everybody got fired and then immediately rehired under the new owner. And that was the day things change when the deal goes through. So that's just the way it is. Disney's smart. They're not wasting time and money on a maybe. That makes sense. Well, folks, before we wrap up here today, it's important to note that while we're looking forward at all of these films and that sort of thing, and it's also important to look back and just this past week or thereabouts, we lost one of the giants, you know, a key to what Marvel is today. And that, of course, is Steve Ditko. Mm -hmm. The Spider-Man as we know it today wouldn't exist without Steve. I mean, right. it, it, as I understand it, Stan came up with the name, but it was Steve who really came up with, with so much of, of what... Here's kind of how it went down. Stan goes, "Okay, I got a great idea. There's this kid. He's got all kinds of problems, but he's a spider. He can shoot webs, and uh, he's got an old aunt... And he's, she's got heart problems. So he's got to get medication. But yeah, he's a spider. He can climb on walls and he, and he shoots webs. So go draw it. And then Steve went, okay, uh, how does he shoot webs? And he came up with the web shooter idea, you know, and back in the olden days, the web shooter was on the outside of the costume. And he came up with the red and blue suit with the webbing and the eyes, you know, in, in that shape. And even back in the olden days, Spider-Man had webbing underneath his mm -hmm. arm that went from his elbow to his waist. And, it, you know, it was just a design thing to make it look more spidery. You know, there was really no function to it at the time. But I was so very happy years and years later to see in Homecoming was the very first time they actually had the underarm webbing in the suit. And it provided a function so it could glide a little bit. And I was like, oh, that is such a beautiful nod to the very original costume that we first got from Steve Ditko's art. And so, yeah, it mm. was very, very beautiful. And all of the imagery, the, the classic red and blue suit, 
that was all Steve. Uh, Stan came up with, he's a kid, he's got a lot of problems, and uh, he shoots out webs and he climbs on walls. Go draw something. <laughs> I love your Stanley. <laughs> um, but, but also, given what you said at the earlier part of the show about, you know, where is our Doctor Strange 2? Because Mr. Ditko occupied as big a role, if not bigger, with Doctor Strange. Yeah. And th- that was also a nice tribute because... When I remember the Steve Ditko Doctor Strange art, that was old school. It's like the first time you're entering another dimension with artwork. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have this MC Escher kind of thing where the lines kind of go off in impossible directions and and some it was very very imaginative a lot of geometric shapes kind of floating in space and voids filled with astral objects and some just really crazy colorful beautiful off the wall imagery that you just couldn't get anywhere else so when we got to see the doctor strange movie there were a lot of those elements that really reminded me of Steve's work even in the earliest days just done in this beautiful living breathing CGI immaculately recreated polished version just kind of gave me chills of those earlier moments as a kid seeing those strange worlds for the first time so I really dug it so I want to see more of it the Mm. astral plane and and the uh, quantum realm from Mm Ant-Man I mean, those are two very, very strange worlds, and I really want to spend more time there in the Marvel Universe. I'll be as well. One of the concepts that's sort of ingrained in the history of the Disney company is the nine old men, the folks that Walt would turn to 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 make these films happen, take Captain Hook from a character idea that, you know, from a J.M. Barry story and translated into a character that works on the screen. And Marvel had its own Nine Old Men. And, and interestingly enough, for the longest time, it all seemed to be Stan Lee. And it's been, for me, that's what I've enjoyed about the past 10 or 15 years is to watch Jack Kirby just get walked out into the spotlight. Or, or for that matter, a Steve Ditko. And at the very last D23 Expo, they actually made Stan Lee a Disney legend. And I think it might be time to be looking at the Jack Kirby's or the Steve Yitko's to give them some recognition within the Disney world because the very thing you were talking about, these hit movies that are so reliant on how a certain artist portrays a certain world. I mean, I can't imagine any other artists doing what Steve did with the Doctor Strange. I mean, Salvador Dali, you would have to look at what Steve's doing and it's like, wow, that is really out there. I would have to say if uh, Dave McKean had been alive at the time, I think he would have done some sublime work. He did the cover of all of the Sandman comics that Neil Gaiman had written. And it was some of the most bizarre, sometimes nightmarish imagery because... You couldn't tell if it was a photograph, if it was a painting, if it was a sketch, because it was like a mixture of many, many mediums that blended together. Sandman was all about dreams, so it had a very dreamlike quality to it. And I think, yeah, if he had been around at that time, he might have been able to create something otherworldly. And as a matter of fact, he ended up directing a movie called Mirror Mask. Oh, for yes, for for Hanson. Yes. Oh, yeah. I remember following that project and the whole conceit of what was it like? Every ten minutes, they switch up art design and yeah. It's sort of a 
a second cousin, so to speak, to what Jim did with with Labyrinth or yeah, The Dark Crystal. Exactly. Oh, wow. I, I wasn't aware of that connection. Yeah, he's he's got that uh, a mind of like, he'll like to do stop motion animation and mix it with, uh, you know, painting in the background and then throw a CG creature off to the side. I mean, he'll, he'll use all of the mediums in the most bizarre, you know, paper mache, fine. Let's, as long as it looks weird and awesome and, you know, gives you the creeps or whatever, let's do that. And so he's a really crazy good artist that uses like all of the tricks from all the mediums. Oh, that is so cool. Okay. I love that we've got a Henson connection going there. All right. Well, there is so much going on in this realm that when we finally get back to doing another Marvel Us Disney podcast, we should probably do one in the next two weeks or so because, of course, this is when the Infinity War Blu-ray uh, digital download becomes available. And evidently, there's this buttload of extra features where... Again, for those of us who love reconstructing dinosaurs from footprints, there's all sorts of little bits and pieces. So I know you don't quite enjoy this as much as I do, Aaron, but again, sifting for clues about where Endgame is actually going to go. Oh, no, I'll, uh, I'll watch special features all day long after the movie's out. Ah, uh, you know, okay. the, by the way, the Lord of the Rings special mm-hmm. extended edition with the mm-hmm. like three days of special features. I seriously will watch that on a long weekend. And I think if every movie in Marvel could do that treatment on special features, I would be in heaven. Wow. Because th- that's okay. a really done special feature collection off the Lord of the Rings there. But yeah, that's what I want okay. from, from my I, Marvel movies. Sad to say, I've never, ever been able to crack the Lord of the Rings Hobbit realm. I just, I don't know why it is that I stand outside of those wonderfully put together films and I appreciate the art design and and the craft, but it's just sort of like, I'll be over here. Yeah. So, all right, for now, on behalf of Aaron, I thank you folks for listening. And again, we'll be back with another Marvelous Disney podcast shortly. Till then, take care. More Marvelous Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.